Yeah, if you can, get with these students and hear the long version, right? Everyone wants, oh, tell me what it was in 30 seconds, but they need, they need an hour or so. They need hours to really unpack what God's been doing. Um, hey, I don't know about you, but in this past week, I was following very attentively to the breaking news of the Titan submarine that went down to look at the wreckage of the Titanic, and um, there are many exploits like that. And tragically, that story ended with those five people dying in that submersible, and a massive global rescue effort uh, was was underway when that news um, was found out. But I was just enthralled by it and kept refreshing my newsfeed and, and found myself wanting to know what what's happening. And I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I'm looking on my computer at my newsfeed, and then there she was. Off on the side of my newsfeed, I didn't ask her to be there, but some lady on some tab on the side, and apparently she wasn't, someone has taken a lot of her clothes off because she wasn't wearing a lot. And I'm just trying to read my story, and she and whatever else the internet wants to sell me is on the side of the screen. I don't know if that ever happens to you. I later learned that you could do pop-up blockers. Wow, I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read, and then there she is, and, and, and what do you do? Because there's a side of me that wanted to see that, and then there was a side of me that was going, absolutely not. And I found myself in that place. Maybe that's been your story, too, at times. So what I did was I kept reading my story, and, and I just clothed her with my hand. <laughs> I thought, well, if you forgot your clothes, my hand will have to do, you know? And I just, just kept reading, and I thought, my word, you need more clothes than this, you know? And, and I just... But I want to ask this morning, what gives you strength in moments like that to raise your hand? What empowers you to not do what part of you wants to do and part of you doesn't want to do? What gives you strength to raise your hand. And for some of you, it's like, ah, oh, it's not my temptation at all. But I'm asking you, what gives you strength to not say the words that come so quickly to your mind in the moment you just want to throw them at someone? What gives you strength in the moment to check your anger and hold it back instead of fully venting it on someone? What gives you strength just in those moments to stand up for another person, to serve when everything in you is like, I have been busy serving people my whole day. What gives you strength to do what you know would honor God when there's just a huge part of you that just doesn't want to? Well, this morning, we just get invited into a beautiful psalm. And in that psalm, we find strength to walk with God with an invitation and with a beautiful promise. It's a very short psalm, Psalm 15. That's where we're at in our Bible this morning. If you've got one, I would love for you to turn to it. This psalm, the outline is actually very simple, five verses long. It begins with a question in verse one. It gets answered in the following verses, and right at the end, it ends with a promise. A question, the answer, and a promise. I bet you're going to see them pretty simply, even as I read the text for us this morning. Here it goes. 
Psalm 15, I'll read through it, and then we'll go through it slowly. The scripture says, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? And here comes the answer. The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. And then here comes a promise. The one who does these things will never be shaken. Never be shaken. So it begins with a question, and let's just go back to the question that gets us going down our journey this morning. Here's the question. It's in verse 1. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? There it is. Who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? And, and some hear that and just go, uh, dwell in a tent? Live on a mountain? <laughs> no thanks. I'm not into camping. Um, you know what? My apartment, I don't like it that much. Better than a tent, better than living on a mountain. You know, I'll, I'll just, we need to hear what they heard. As students of the Bible, not what comes to our mind first, what did they hear when they heard this question? Who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? We gotta remember all the way back from the kind of beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, the book of Exodus shows God's people moving, maybe upwards of 2 million of them. They were out of Egypt and now they were living in the wilderness and God was going to dwell with them in a unique way. And he gave them specific instructions, gave Moses the instructions on a mountain, Mount Sinai, 10 commandments, a lot of stuff. But he says, build this tabernacle. Think massive outdoor tent. Build a tabernacle, and in a unique way, I, the creator God of the universe, who is terrifying to even be near, I will dwell in a specific way within that tent, and I will dwell among you. And through animal sacrifices and different things that we read about in the Old Testament, you, sinful people, can come near me. I'm restoring my presence among you. Intimacy with me is now possible. I will dwell with you. I'll dwell in that tent. Now, later, that tent moved around everywhere they moved. In time, David became the king, and David conquered this pagan city called Zion. It got renamed Jerusalem. And in that city of Jerusalem, there's a high point in the city of Jerusalem. And it was in David's heart that the ark of God, this, this tabernacle, this tent, no longer be out there, but it actually be in the city of God in Jerusalem. And so he has that tent brought to Jerusalem, to the high place in Jerusalem, on this mount, mountain in Jerusalem. And that's where the tent of God, the presence of God, dwelt in a unique place. Now, with that background, hear the question again. Who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? Now, it was interesting because the people were commanded, at least the men, 21 years, I think, and older, were commanded three times a year to come to Jerusalem. Didn't matter where you lived. You come to Jerusalem, and there's several festivals that take place. Likely, they would be offering sacrifices at that tabernacle. They would go and commune with God. So several times a year, a lot of people would come in to visit, visit the very presence of God. But hear what David 
was saying, David who penned the psalm, David knew that all could come and visit. He was asking, who was allowed to stay? Who can live with you there? Who can come and live in your home? What he's saying is, who can walk intimately with God? That's what he's asking. Now, when I think of being close to God, it's the heart of the psalmist, Psalm 84. This is just, you can probably find this lots of places in the scriptures. Here's the cry of it. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. See, that's the psalmist saying. I long, I yearn, I want to be with God. That's where God is. That's where I want to be. Wants closeness, wants intimacy. When I think of something wanting closeness, I think of my dog. Honestly, our dog, Benny, wants to be close to me. I got a couple pictures of Benny. Um, here's one. We just, I, he's wearing my reading glasses. He's a studious dog. And uh, the next picture shows what he was reading. Just a book on Rome, uh, because I think he plans to travel there. But like, Benny, our dog, when I get home, he goes crazy. I mean, he wiggles so much. I've nicknamed him Wiggle Waggle. He just can't control. I mean, he's just all over the place. And then, no joke, he smiles. He smiles when I come home. Now, it's not, but it's, he shows us, he's like, <laughs> like he can't control his face. He's so happy. But when Jenny and I will like sit on a couch, just lay down on our bed, he jumps on up and he just tries to bury his head under you, around you, under your head. He is trying to get as close as he possibly can to us. He can't get close enough. And what I'm saying is that's what the psalmist is asking. How do I get close? Benny's trying to get near, the, like, how do I get close with God? You can look at this psalm, and we're going to find verses that follow, and you might be thinking, ah, can't be me. And in some sense, no. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. That being true, this psalm was, I don't believe, given to us to say, keep out. No one except Jesus. Jesus, his life was to live closely with God. And I think the invitation is follow him. Follow him in closeness. Look, the big idea, I'll give it to you up front. I think it captures this psalm. Enjoying intimacy with God, that invitation in verse one, and resting securely in God, that's the promise at the end. It means living carefully for God. And that's the heart of the psalm that we're gonna look at. I'm telling you to enjoy intimacy with God and to have the promise of resting securely in God. It looks like something. It means living carefully for God. David asks, who can dwell with God? Here comes the answer. We're just gonna go through these one at a time. Verse two. Psalm 15, verse two says this. It continues. Here's the answer. Oh, the one who lives blamelessly practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart. So the first three of 10 things that are listed, live blamelessly, practice righteousness, acknowledge the truth in your heart first. Live blamelessly. Well, that sounds easy. Yeah, right. <laughs> live blamelessly. 
wait, what? What, what? what could that mean? Even the apostle Paul in the New Testament of the Bible, writing to a church that had received the gospel of Jesus, he said this to those Christ followers. Look at this, Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and why? To be holy and blameless in love before him. Like God is saying, I desire people, a people who live holy lives, that live blamelessly before me. That's what God wants of his people. From eternity past, he set a motion, a rescue plan in motion to rescue us. Listen, not only from the penalty of sin after you die, but from the power of sin while you live. That's what God's trying to do. And listen to what Jesus said to people who sat on a hillside listening to his teaching. Be perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, what did we expect him to say? Well, hey, how about you cut back sin like 50%? How about when you steal, just steal a little bit less. I mean, come on, notch it back. Like Jesus can't do anything other than to say, follow me. And we know, for those who know Jesus, that all our hope is in him. He has forgiven us all of our sins and his righteousness counts for us. And yet, God is welcoming us into intimacy with God. And it looks like something. Interestingly, I learned from the Bible knowledge commentary this about that phrase, blameless, live blamelessly. Blameless is not synonymous with perfect, but with an attitude of a heart desirous of pleasing God. And this is just one of the most amazing miracles that I found when I began following Jesus at 17. For the first time in my life, I was uncomfortable with my sin. I didn't want it anymore. It still was wreaking havoc in my life, but I wanted to please God. Where does that come from, if not the miracle of salvation in the heart? Like, I wanted to please God. No longer was sin just where I wanted to live and dwell and find my life and identity and expression. No, we want to follow Jesus. We want to grow in this way. Sure, it's a fight in your heart, but it's not duty and disdain. We start with blameless because we want to please God. And then it goes on to say, who practices righteousness. Practice righteousness. Okay. We work hard at just choosing the right decision. That, that's what practicing righteousness is. That's not positional righteousness. We become righteous in Christ when we begin a relationship with him. This is like day by day, like decisions, things we say, things we do. We're doing the right things. We're saying the right things. We are practicing righteousness. This is not someone who thinks about righteousness. This is not someone who talks about righteousness. This is not someone who we can even spell righteousness. This is someone who's like, I'm choosing to do the right thing. And tomorrow when it's hard, I'm gonna choose it again. And later on, I'm gonna keep going and following the path of righteousness. It might be hard to do. It's not hard to understand. It's choosing to honor parents. It's choosing to obey the laws of land. It's, it's choosing not to cut corners and to be honest. This will be tested. Mine just was with putting a mini split in my bedroom. A mini split's an air conditioning unit, you know, and our bedroom is on the far side of our house where the AC unit is. And so it's like, good luck staying cool on our side of the house. Like we just, 
lay in our bed and sweat and go, man, it sure would be nice if that cold air could get here. But it hasn't for years. So we just sweat. Well, we finally wanted to stop sweating and actually sleep. So I, I put this AC unit in, I'm doing all the work, and I put it up on the wall, and I hung it outside the house, and I already had power that went on over there. And somewhere in the midst of doing the work, I'm like, I bet I was supposed to get a permit for this. <laughs> now, why do I not want to get a permit? Well, it costs money. And then you pay someone to come in your house and find other things that are wrong and go, well, you know you got to fix that and fix that. And I got enough wrong in my life. I don't need someone else telling me how about, you know, like, and I'm like, so I'm in that place of like, now my conscience is troubled. Practice righteousness. How about next week? Um, And and so I'm going, what do I do? So I, I had one last final step, and it's when the AC guys come and actually make the unit all work, make all the final connections and stuff. And I'm like, I didn't get a permit. I didn't even, like, somewhere in there I realized I should get, get one. Tell me if my work is to code. You guys do this all the time. If I did my work wrong, I got the wrong, you know, I'm trying to do 220 volt. If I got to do a different unit, oh, my work. It's going to kill me. It is going to bother me like crazy. But I'm like, uh, and all day long, I'm like, is it to code? Is it to code? Is it to code? You know, like, and I'm just wondering because I'm like, this is going to cost a lot more money if it isn't, you know. And, and they, at the end of the day, went, it's great. It's to code. And I'm like, whew. So in the future, I should get a permit. But it worked, you know, but like, I'm like, in the midst of the very end of that project, I'm like, man, am I going to cut corners? Like, what is my integrity worth? What kind of price tag can someone put on your integrity? Like, well, I mean, I honor the Lord, but if it costs that much. Like, this gets tested. And God's saying, practice righteousness. People practice at things they want to get better at. Golf swings. Pickleball, video games, no one's wanting to go, yeah. Um, people practice things they want to get good at. God's saying, practice righteousness. Practice that. It's worth it. Because nearness with God flows from it. Keep connecting it. Acknowledge the truth in his heart. What does that even mean? Listen to what Jesus said about truth. John 14, 6, a common verse perhaps for some. Jesus told this guy, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Interestingly, Jesus, in introducing himself, says, hey, here's something you can call me, truth. I am truth embodied. He is truth, and he lived speaking the truth. In fact, listen to what some of his religious enemies said to him. Here in Matthew 22, 16, uh, it says, so uh, the Pharisees sent their disciples to him, some some bad guys, um, along with the Herodians, more bad guys, teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. We know that you speak the truth and you don't show partiality. Would people say that about you? Do you tell the truth? Do you speak the truth to people regardless of like who they are or what they're going to think? I don't always do that. I don't. And, and here's how I've been convicted recently from a conference I was just at. Sometimes I see something in someone's life that I know is not pleasing to God. I know it's compromise. I know it should be different. And 
I should love them enough to say it. And you know what I do sometimes? I don't speak the truth. I just don't say anything. Well, hopefully someone will say something. And, and you might say, well, I don't want to make them feel bad. And I was told this past week at this conference, that's, stop saying that. You don't care about how it makes them feel. It probably wouldn't make them feel bad. Probably help them. They'd probably be blessed by it. It isn't about how they will feel. You're talking about you. You're just a chicken because how it will make you feel having to say that to them. It has nothing to do with them. And I'm like, guilty. I can chicken out and not speak the truth, even when I know it's gonna hurt, but it's going to help in the long run. I care more about their feelings, but not truthfully, more about my own feelings. Guys, I wanna be like Jesus with my words, don't you? God's inviting us in. This is the path of righteousness. This is what it means to walk intimately with me. This is what it means to rest securely in me. I want that for you, that Jesus blazes trail. He's calling us, his followers, to follow him. I wonder if we lie every day to the question that everyone asks us every single day. You know what it is, like the most common question that we all get asked every day. That's it. How are you doing? We can't all always be doing great. Can we? That's gotta be impossible, right? How are you doing? Great, and you? Great, you? Great, you? Great, you? It flows out of our mouth like it's a conjunction or something. It's not true. Because if you start talking long enough with them, their eyes will in time well up with tears. Because we got stuff going on in our lives, don't we? We got pain that we're carrying. We need help. We need help. And it's right there in front of us. If we would just stop lying, because we're so convinced that posing like it's all fine is going to satisfy our souls and please God. No. I just want to stop lying on that question. Can we be a people that speaks the truth and goes, I want to say great. <laughs> it's not true. Here's what's going on. And some people will just be like, I wasn't asking for all that. <laughs> I, can we just keep it surface level? They'll avoid you next time. They won't ask. But others will go, thank you so much. And then they will open up. And we'll finally start being the people of God who can be vulnerable, can be broken, and can help each other find strength and restoration in Jesus. It goes on. Who does not slander with his tongue who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. What does it even mean to slander? Slander is the action, I had to look this up on the dictionary, the action or even crime of making a false statement about someone damaging to their reputation. So the person who wants to walk intimately with God and who wants to rest securely in God, this is part of it, your words matter a lot to God. You're not saying untruthful things about people that would damage their reputation. It's easy to... Slander, it's easy to harm, it's, it's easy, I oh, was just kidding. No, it's easy to do that. Now, it, it might start with this verse, like not slander, but I want to ask, where do the words come from? Like the words that are coming out of our mouths, where are they flowing from? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15, 19. It's worth drawing our attention to. 
Jesus said, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and then our word, slander. Sin, like slander, it just flows from the heart. I think God is less concerned over a handful of four-letter words and more concerned over this five-letter word, your heart. Where's your heart? It's from the heart that all this stuff is flowing. It's from the heart. It's, it's from a heart that is in a broken, dark place that hurtful words blast out of our mouths like water blasts out of my spray nozzle as soon as I squeeze it. It's pent up from the heart. Are you actively hurting people with your words? I did just last week, and there would be a lot of examples. I'll share one that was really heartbreaking to me. I was in a conference this past week in the Midwest with other church planters in our network and salt company staff teams from around the country. God's doing great things. And while I was there, I was asked to actually be a part of a panel and to give some thoughts on how we think about men and women teaching in differing environments, whether it be within the church or on Thursday nights at Salt Company. And I was asked this question, Paul, how has your journey gone in thinking through this and practicing this over the years? Well, actually, it was pretty humbling because I said, there was a time where my thinking on this based on scripture was far too restrictive. And I think that was wrong. And now I think I'm more biblically and faithfully representing how God would want us to be. I can give you more details on that. But that's what I had to say. So that, that's entry number one from Paul on the panel. Then the other pastor who was asked to be a part of the panel, dear friend, his name is Brent Mentor, leads a church in our network. And Brent, what are your thoughts? And he goes, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, and interestingly, I became the teaching pastor right after Paul was a teaching pastor at a previous church. And when I came in, just to show you that ideas have consequences, I got there and we were doing some connection group training. And then my wife had something to share to help the connection group leaders, the men and women to be better connection group leaders. So she shared that and bam, they nailed her for that because of what Paul had shared when he was here. Now, how do you think that made me feel? As I'm sitting up on a panel in front of all my peers around the country. And, um, well, I'll tell you how I felt because I know you know how I felt. Well, first, what I said was, wow, Brent, that's really encouraging to hear. <laughs> Nervous laughter filled the room. And because here's what's going on. I was humbled, I was embarrassed, and in my heart was just pride. And I thought, I thought you wanted my help on this panel. It seems like all I'd done is I shared how I was wrong. This guy totally verified, oh, he was wrong. And there you go. But it's what I did afterwards with my words. And just nervous laughter. Oh, Brent, hey, that's really encouraging. Ah, all right. And then, and then Ryan, who was moderating the panel, ah, you guys can take your seat. I'm like, anything else you need from me? I'm here all day, you know. I sit down. And I mused on that. Because I don't know how it is with you and God, but sometimes you read a passage like this and God starts speaking to you through it. And I thought, I can't leave that there. So I text Brent, you got five minutes. 
all of a sudden my phone's ringing. I'm like, I'm in the library just a second. <laughs> then I get out. I'm like, this won't take more than five minutes. Here's what happened, Brent. I shared. That was hard to share. You shared. That was harder. <laughs> and then that's what I said. And let me tell you, this is where it came from. I was embarrassed. I was proud. And instead of just going, that's heartbreaking. Thank you, Brent. I, I said something in a way that put you on the spot, and he, Brent, felt very uncomfortable, like, oh, my word, did I wrongly embarrass you? I didn't mean to. That was, that was never Brent's intent. He wasn't trying to hurt me in front of people. He wasn't trying to embarrass me. He was just trying to say, oh, that reminds me of a story. And that's me. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Oh, totally, Paul. The thing I love about you is, uh, yeah, we're good. Yeah, look, three o'clock, time's up. <laughs> Guys, when I was young, my mom washed my mouth out with soap, thinking it would change my words. It may have cleaned my mouth, but it didn't change my heart. Only Jesus can change the heart. I'm telling you, I just need to let Jesus go to those places and go, why are you saying what you're saying, Paul? Why the hurt? Why the, the heart? I need Jesus there. God's saying, the person who's going to honor me, who's going to live close to me, you're not going to slander people with your words. You're going to be careful with your words. And he just, he keeps going. Look at this, verse 4. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, and keeps his word whatever the cost. Okay. How are we to think about verse 4? God is saying, I esteem the one who, look at this, despises the one rejected by God, but honors those who fear the Lord. And they keep their word, whatever the cost. How do we think about that? Does that seem like an overreaction? I'm supposed to despise people? Despise? I'm supposed to despise people who are rejected by God? It, it sounds like an overreaction, kind of like my wife with my electric toothbrush just last night. I, seriously, I'm just in the back, minding my own business. I'm, <laughs> you've been there, right? <laughs> Jenny walks in, I kid you not, she goes, ugh, that thing is so loud. I hate that thing. <laughs> I'm just brushing my teeth because that's what the dentist keeps telling me to do and I should floss a lot more than I do. But I'm just saying, I'm like, ugh. That thing's so loud, I hate that thing. I'm like, I don't even use the word hate, but for a few select and Jen's like, hate it. I'm like, that's an overreaction. <laughs> Is this an overreaction? God, we're supposed to despise the one rejected by you? I don't think God's just giving you permission to just hate people who do something wrong. But there are people who are absolutely opposed to God. They are pursuing a path of evil. They want nothing to do with God. They are trying to shut him down every way. And God is saying, you should have a response in you towards those who are evil, who are given over to rejecting God. And in the opposite way, you should actively be honoring people who fear God. You should not be indifferent to wickedness. Ah, well, you know, you be you. Let go and let God. Like, we'll just let it PC. No, there, there is a crowd that you go, that is against God. And I'm against what God's against. And somehow live in the tension of loving the sinner, hating the sin. And yet here's a verse, despise and yet actively honoring those who don't. I think it's unbelievable in our culture 
the people, even the celebrities who are honored in our culture. So many of us have the wrong heroes. We're not honoring the right people. We're entertained by the wrong heroes. Godless men and women. I don't care if they're actors, singers, whatever. We're super fans of people who are super wicked. We would do anything for a selfie and an autograph. Just something to associate with them. And God's going, are you kidding me? Them? How about you begin to honor true heroes? How about you begin to draw attention to those who are fearing the Lord? She's so caught up in this culture. There are people who ought to be feared and honored. They fear the Lord. They ought to be honored. I think we get it all wrong sometimes. Guys, we've got to remember as we think about this that, look, the big idea, see the big idea, that enjoying intimacy with God and resting securely in God It's why we live carefully for God. It's why we strive to be done with wickedness and actively honor, honor those who fear God, who keeps his word whatever the cost. And this is one of the last things we'll see. Keeps his word whatever the cost or keeps his word to his own harm. Like this person, if they say it, they're gonna do it. Does that describe you? I was talking to Troy Nesbitt. He is the director of the SALT Network, this church planning network. And he's a guy who hired Ryan Hill. So if you want to be angry at someone, be angry with Troy. Um, But uh, yeah, I was pretty angry with him for quite some time myself. So, um, but I was talking to Troy and Troy said, when Ryan first came on my staff team, I just simply asked Ryan, and this is just Troy being honest. Ryan, are you the kind of guy that if I ask you to do something that I'm going to have to ask again? Or can I just know that it will be done? And Ryan's like, it will be done. Troy's like, thanks. Just wanted to clear that up. We're good. And those of you who know Ryan Hill, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If he says it, it's done. It will get done. I know another friend who would make contracts, whether in the thousands or perhaps even in the millions, and he would look at someone in the eyes, shake their hand. It'll be done. Because their word is their honor. They'd sooner die than break it. And I'm just saying, do you say something and not do it? Or is your word your honor? Are you like Ryan Hill? Done. I said it. It will happen. You keep your word, whatever the cost. Now it's going to cost me a lot more. I said I would do it. It will be done. Or do you... I was talking to a, 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 a gal, a ministry leader among us. She's hurt. She'd been hurt by God. Said, I can't trust guys. I, have a, I struggle to trust men. And, and, and normally there's, that typically means there was an authority figure in your life that's hurt you or a close male friend who's hurt you. And I said, who's hurt you? And then she dropped the name of another ministry leader. It was heartbreaking. And why? Uh, they just say things, say things, say things. They don't follow through. They don't do what they say. Just talk. Guys, God esteems a person who keeps their word, even when it hurts. And when you don't, when you've blown it, own it, say, I don't want to be that man anymore. I don't want to be that woman anymore. Will you please forgive me? And God help me, because I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus kept his word. He's calling us to do the same. He closes 
was saying, this kind of person does not lend his silver at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. This is pretty straightforward. For a Jew to lend money and charge interest among fellow countrymen was an expression of greed. It was forbidden by God in the law. And obviously, taking a bribe against the innocent, that would be evil all the time to every person. This person is not motivated by a love of money. It doesn't change their behavior. They're one and the same to all, and they're generous. They're gracious. Look, our passage began with a question. Who can live close with God? Who can be intimate? Who? Then comes an answer. It's a person who carefully lives for God. And then it ends with this promise. The one who does these things will never be shaken. This is beautiful. Think of it. Think of this. Just dream with me for a moment. Living with stability. Living with calm. While others are swaying in the wind, blown and tossed by life's circumstances, you stand firm. While others are bobbing up and down like a cork on the ocean waves, you're anchored to a rock. While others are worried about future finances, God's saying, follow me. Here's your promise. You won't be shaken. This is what it means to rest securely in God. This person's not shaken. God says of this man, says of this woman, never shaken. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? That, that big idea. Guess we want to enjoy intimacy with God. We want to rest securely in God, but it means living carefully for him. This passage isn't meant to overwhelm, to clobber us. Only Jesus perfectly fulfills this, and yet he invites us in. What would it be like for you to take the thing that God brought up to you as I was even teaching the Bible this morning? What would it be like to take a step forward, just to own it? <laughs> I do that too, but I don't want to be known for that. I want to step forward. I want to honor God. What would it be like for your family, men, if we could humble ourselves and be the first to confess, be the first at Sunday lunch to go, this is what God said. This is what I want to change. What would our church be like if we would be done with words of wickedness and actions of wickedness, but would strive to pursue God? I'm telling you, it wouldn't be stuffy in here. It would be life-giving and joyful. We wouldn't be stifled with this duty and spirit of drudgery. It would be invitational and attractive to the world that Christianity is for real. Jesus must have not only died, but risen from the grave. Look at them. They live securely. They rest. They seem to be walking with an unknown God. And I want in. What would it be like if we heard God's invitation towards intimacy? coupled by his promise towards rest and security. And in the power of his spirit, we move forward. Let's be that church. And you know what? I look at a passage like this and I'm like, still kind of feel overwhelmed. How will I ever do this without God's strength? That's a good spot to get to. And so we're gonna have some time of prayer. Occasionally at Salt Church, every other week, every few weeks, we just have a time of prayer, a corporate prayer. Um, so for about the next five minutes, we're just gonna pray. Maybe you're here with someone that you'd feel comfortable leaning over with, praying, but there's two focuses I want us to pray about, and they'll be up on the screen here. And this is an opportunity for you to let these two um, prayer focuses to drive our prayer time. It's the first couple minutes, Lord, please forgive me for just fill in the blank. <laughs> Whatever God's brought to your mind, let's start there. God, please forgive me for that. 
And then secondly, you know, maybe we, we go there and then we turn a corner. God, please help me to hunger for you and to honor you by, and then fill in the blank. I mean, what you want to be true of life, guys, we are dead in the water without God's help, aren't we? We can't just will it. We need the Lord's help. If you're new, if this is kind of foreign to you, if you feel uncomfortable praying, that's okay. Just check your phone for, you know, the next five minutes and feel, feel very comfortable just sitting there. In about five minutes, we'll close in worship. So with some people around you, let's go ahead and let these two focuses be our focuses in corporate prayer.